Hi, welcome to Shrink Act. I'm Allison Colorosi here with my husband, Dr. David Colorosi, the psychologist, and he is here to answer your questions and mostly my questions and also discuss things that are happening in the world today. Um, we are now on episode 11, which is crazy, and you can also get this wherever you get your podcasts if you'd rather listen. So, should we get started? We should. How are you? I mean, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. This is this is try three at recording this because we keep starting it and <laughs> having some kind of malfunction. Malfunction. <laughs> run out of battery. Run out of memory card. Kids wake up. Have a kerfuffle. We've had a couple of fights getting <laughs> getting this set up over the last couple of days. So we're finally here. I think we're in a good place, which is good, right? <laughs> yeah. Until you told me about what your next video is going to be on, and I'm feeling a lot of angst about that. I, so I'm, I think it'd be fun, bear with me, I think it'd be fun if I... I want to talk about systematic desensitization, like how do you overcome a phobia? So I could just talk about that, but that'd be kind of boring. Or I could go buy a tarantula and make Allison overcome her spider phobia for the YouTube channel. I I feel like I'm normal phobic to spiders. I don't like them. So this will be easy. This will be easy for you. I am big time phobic to tarantulas. That is a hairy spider. It's basically a a dog because it lives ten years. Why do you have to get the hairiest thing with one inch fangs? You can't buy a house like a house spider. Just go out in the garden and do some do some digging. Would you rather me just try and find like a random spider and hope it's not poisonous? I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> okay. It's going to be exciting. Tune in. So I am concerned about something. So this is mm -hmm. my question. So okay. we are in the midst of a huge, um, a huge vote or presidential uh, running. What, what am I trying to say? I don't know. We're in the midst of a huge, like we're voting for president, which is a huge election for this us. Is... Um, it's been a crazy year. I would argue the worst year for some things in my lifetime. This is Allison's trying to talk about politics without getting political. And so she's like worried, like, if I say the wrong thing, am I going to step on someone's toes? No, I'm not trying to. Well, okay, here's my concern. Our two candidates are the oldest candidates in history. The oldest. Yes. And I was doing a little digging. So we've had two presidents that have had or showed signs of dementia. And that was Ronald Reagan, who was, ended up being diagnosed with Alzheimer's later on. And um, also Woodrow Wilson. And we have the two oldest candidates in history. And there has been some research that says that 10% um, of adult males over the age of 74 have dementia. What do you think about that as our candidates? Like, are, are we going to see some serious decline in their mental state? They are definitely not at their prime. I mean, so I would argue, so this is not an area of expertise for me, but I would, I would argue that, uh, I mean, the chances of us seeing full-blown dementia, I guess it would be about 10%, right? They'll both <laughs> be over that age point. But I think the chance of, of us experiencing or seeing or noticing uh, cognitive decline is, is super high. I mean, you can see it already. I mean, 
I'm less aware of Trump. There's like sort of less footage of Trump trying to be articulate on the spotlight or in the spotlight. But I mean, if you look at a debate, uh, you know, a Biden debate back when he was uh, running for vice president with Obama and compare it to how he communicates now, I mean, there's a, I mean, obviously the circumstance is different. The debate is different. The platform is different, but the, uh, his performance then versus now is there's a stark difference. There's no to me to me there's no question he has experienced some cognitive decline already. Oh goodness! Don't you think? I mean, well, I just the state of affairs these days. It's a rough. It's, it's rough. a rough. It's a rough election. Um. So okay. So like, what does that say about these two candidates? Like, are they able to be flexible or um, agile, which I think is super necessary? I mean, what kind of qualities do you think a, um, a president needs to have mentally? Is that too hard of a question? I just think it's funny because I can tell that you're trying to talk, you're trying to be like apolitical as you ask these questions. No, I'm not. I feel like I'm watching you like try and like skirt the line. Uh, I think that. <laughs> Cognitive performance will be very important in whoever the president is. And I think that, I mean, certainly take, take out the decline piece. I mean, we know that the way your brain operates, I mean, you, you become less flexible, less adaptable as you get older. So if you think about like someone's like, you know, the bell curve of somebody's performance, I would imagine, and I am sort of making this up, I don't know for sure, um, but sort of logically, I would tell you that your, your performance probably peaks around 45, something like that, in that age range. And then experience certainly takes over and sort of protects you. And so there's reason to have a more experienced person in there. But when you get into the 70s, your level of cognitive agility, I think, drops significantly, right? You become much more idiosyncratic. You have your opinions very stuck in your ways, very hard to adjust. And so when you're working as they are in these kind of tumultuous times, I think it's concerning that their level of mm-hmm. that their age is where it's at, and then you can you you can watch them communicate, and you can see that that there is probably less flexibility there. Yeah, but then on the flip side, there are some good things that come with age, like they've seen it all, and so they don't get all worked up, right? Yeah, these ones seem like they can get pretty worked <laughs> up, but yeah, yes, I, ideally, ideally, yeah, they would have sort of a calm Maybe. and thoughtful approach to things. Yeah, some yeah. wisdom. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're seeing that play out, but yes, that would be <laughs> that would be nice. Okay, so I did. Okay, let's move on from that. But it is interesting that um, they are the two oldest candidates in history. Yeah. Do you know? Just as a side note, do you know if Wilson was Democrat or Republican? Um. Somebody in the comments, tell us. I'm just curious. I mean, we could Google it. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. It's neither here nor there. I'm just curious. Okay. So there has been a recent study out of um, Wichita. I think the University of Wichita by, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, but Frank, Scott Frank Kuzik, who's a PhD there. And he has a new, like, diagnosable thing, which is hilarious to me. And I want to get your opinion because I don't okay. think you've heard it. It's called NFD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Need for drama. Oh. 
and he and they this is a personality diagnosis this is a personality and um it's characterized by interpersonal manipulation um tendency to want to control or mess with people and um sorry need for what it's need for drama what's the what's the first thing you said interpersonal manipulation okay tendency to need to control or mess with others yeah which seems like the same thing and then um persistent perceived victim so they always feel like they're the victim yeah um and uh they could be borderline or histrionic is this new diagnosis nature or nurture that's my question. Well, the I, the diagnosis. Will they grow I need out to of know it? more about the diagnosis, but okay. So you said it's what are the the factor the the, the the characteristics are interpersonal manipulation. Interpersonal manipulation. Tendency to need to control or quotes mess with people. Okay. Um, they're persistent perceived victim. Okay. So they're always the victim in their story. Okay borderline or histrionic personality disorder but those are two significant like personality disorders in their own right yeah this feels like a knockoff of those personalities right I, what's the difference between i feel like it just like it it adds to it and maybe it's not as severe because the question is will they grow out of it what do you okay mean? so if it's a personality disorder the answer is no they're not just going to grow really out of so it. you'll so i had this question about narcissism because i was like wondering like because like my sometimes i feel like Kids seem a little narcissistic. Do they grow out of it? Well, uh, so you wouldn't diagnose them with a personality disorder until after they're like late into their teens or after their teens. So you wouldn't look at some. You have to have a. It takes time for your personality to, to develop. But this is a pervasive characteristic. Okay. Not even not for a late bloomer. Not just a five-year-old kid like thinking the world revolves around him because it does revolve around him. Well, and I feel like teenagers feel like that too. They yeah. have like their own sense of personal drama. Yes. Every. Okay. okay, so I don't understand. I guess I would have to. I'd have to know more about this. And so it's just. It's just essentially. It's those three characteristics plus. That feels like they're saying, "Hey, you need to provoke people. You think you're. You need to provoke people, and you're very sensitive. That seems like the. And two. you're a victim. Yeah. You always think like. That's the sensitivity piece. Uh huh. So that's the borderline piece. Mm-hmm. And the first part of it is the histrionic piece. So this mm-hmm. feels like it's a like a seg- they're trying to take a segment of those two like significant cluster B personalities and saying this is this new personality trait. Well, because okay, so I feel like NFD when I read it, it seems more like like that annoying person that always plays the victim versus the borderline person you're terrified of because they may kill you in your sleep. Well, <laughs> well this is I bet like the people listening, I bet you hear. Uh, not, I keep calling what it's not for, you keep, I bet you that if you hear the idea of need for drama personality, you're probably thinking like, oh my God, I know somebody, my, you know, my brother, or my sister's that way. Yeah. But, okay. So <laughs> that's what it feels a little bit like what this person did is they sort of picked annoying qualities and said, let's make this a personality disorder. Yeah. Can so we do that? The, yeah, you can do that. I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I, think I mean, you if you it. can, if you can like do it empirically, right? Like they got the data behind it. They just need to reproduce it, right? So I would, I don't mean to be like a, a negative Nancy about it, but I doubt they have all like a ton of data behind it. Okay. I'd be curious what the data behind it is. This sounds like a, maybe to your, to your point, this is a very soft 
sort of like descriptor of some personal characteristics. Like, wouldn't you love to be, I mean, you wouldn't love this because you're a psychologist, but I would love to like put someone in that bucket that like is so annoying. Let <laughs> me like, you are an NFT. Okay. okay so here's, the, so this, uh, in all seriousness, so it's a good point. So here's the, here's the challenge with diagnosing and working with people that have personality disorders is it's never like on the personality, when you're looking at a personality, it's never as clear as this person falls into the narcissistic bucket or this person falls into the antisocial bucket. The, those characteristics, those, those traits, there's a massive overlap between those cluster B personality characteristics. So it's not like anxiety versus depression where you, could, where you have anxiety or you have depression or you have these two things together. You just, like those, are, those are very distinct diagnoses. Whereas someone who has histrionic, I bet you have some narcissistic traits. So this feels a little bit like, I, I would just need to know more. This feels a little bit like it's a knockoff with some cool language around like specific qualities that yeah. this person doesn't like. Well, that I want to, so I feel like you need to dive a little deeper, like just really dig into why you can't grow out of your annoying traits. Can you change your personality? Have you changed your personality? I feel like I have. There's some things that have changed. Have you changed your behaviors or the underlying personality? Oh. The behaviors. She's changed the behaviors. Well, why can't? I feel like isn't part of your behaviors part of your personality? Like if I make myself, like I'm trying to be more goal oriented and I'm forcing myself to do that. But does that mean because I didn't have that um, growing up that like that is not like then I didn't grow out of it, even though I'm actively trying to change that. But but I would argue that the desire to actively grow out of it, the desire for growth, desire to be better, or maybe even the, the flexibility, the openness to a new experience, a new way of viewing the world uh -huh. is your personality. The behavior is the habit or whatever that you have on top of that. The habit is easier to change, but like the extent to which you're open to new things is a personality trait, which is much more difficult to change. Okay, so then maybe... I was always open to new things, but my behaviors didn't match that. Or you were in an environment that made not pursuing new things adaptive. So for example, if you had, I'm not saying this is true for you, but if you had a family member or a, fa a, fam a familiar environment that said, don't try anything, oh, then, or you, you, then you won't. Yeah. There's, there's more risk for trying things in that environment, and then you leave that environment and your true personality can drive you to go do more things. Like I would argue there's a separation between the behavior versus the personality, which is by the way, the problem with like trying to diagnose like via survey, if somebody is a narcissist, because they're going to be describing current behaviors, which are influenced by a lot of things that may not necessarily be their actual personality. Okay. Does that make sense? Like it's much more, there's, there's you know, nuance there. It's, I find that I'm really glad we talked about that because I find that very interesting, but, but then that gets very confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy we talked about it. It's so interesting and now I'm super confused. I am because like, I, I feel like if it's adaptive for them to be antisocial growing up, but they're not, they really don't have that personality disorder after you take them out of, um, that situation. So, for example, it's like I'm, tr I'm not sure exactly what you're saying, but like, for example, the easiest example is like introverted versus extroverted. It's personality. 
it's pretty difficult to move the needle on whether or not you are, if you're introverted, it's, if you're 24 and introverted, I would say your personality is pretty well baked. You're an introvert. That person's probably gonna be an introvert when they're 50. But we all know people that are naturally introverted, but they go into a work environment that requires them to shoulder the social spotlight, to speak up, to have that leadership of that executive presence. In that work environment, when they're around people they know, people that they trust, they behave more like an extrovert. It's a behavior, they're stepping onto the stage at work because it's adaptive at work. But if you take them out of that work environment and put them back at home, or put them into a new work environment or whatever, they're gonna revert back to the original person, the underlying personality, because the circumstance drives those behaviors. Hmm. The same thing is true if you're talking about like, a kid who's violent when he's a teenager. Like if you grow up and you, if you grow up in a gang, you could look at someone's behavior and go, this person is antisocial mm-hmm. because of their behavior. The question is, if you took that person out of that environment, do those behaviors follow? Someone who has a true antisocial personality is going to be malicious no matter what the environment is because the personality drives it. Well, then can you create a personality disorder based I would argue on that environment? You could. There are, th- that, yeah. I mean, I think that the research would say that you could. Okay. Via trauma. Like, okay. big, you know, narcissism, the correlation between narcissism and trauma, bipolar and trauma, antisocial and trauma. You can create a distorted approach to the world if you traumatize somebody. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like I need to know more. Okay. Because I have so many different overlaps in my running around my brain. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is part, that's part of why like making a diagnosis is difficult because there's all kinds of overlaps. So just to say, oh, you are this way is pretty limiting. You're putting somebody in a bucket, which is fun to do. It's, it's fun to say you have a need for drama. But like, what does that really mean? Why is this person pursuing yeah. drama? It's, it's more more nuanced. complicated. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you did a good job explaining oh, that. Thank so. you. Okay. So now I have a. I read another article. Okay. <laughs> and so it was with fifteen hundred participants, um, and they they rated their personality, and um, and what it what came of it was that people that were more low conscientious Mm -hmm. um, and you might want to explain that I know you've explained it to me a bunch of times but that um, that had uh, the tendency to be less conscientious were more likely to be cheated on by their partners and the it was 19% um, that had that personality trait of low conscientiousness were cheated on by their partners in the study and I just want to just like find out like just what you think about do you, that. Well, do you know how how do they diagnose or how do they define conscientious? I thought that was like similar to all like all the same tests like all the psychological assessments that you take. Low con- conscientiousness is one of it. That's not a consistent thing. Well, I know how I know how assessments I use d- d- define. I mean, I would describe you someone being conscientious is about how thorough and uh, methodical, how motivated they are to perform at a high level versus someone who's lower on that conscientious scale, scale 
uh, was okay with things sort of slipping through the cracks, being less thorough, um, you know, less sort of concerned with the details. Yeah. That kind of globally, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And, and if, so if you are a less conscientious person, uh-huh. like unless just, we could substitute um, thorough and diligent, is that a fair? Yeah. Okay. So if you're less thorough, less diligent, then you're more likely to be cheated on? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because it leads to frustration in like the coupledom? Like one person is high oh, that's content. so funny. That, that is like not at all how I would have thought about that. Oh. Is okay. that what you think? Well, they mentioned that in the article, but I didn't know if that was, like, they were like, well, one of the thoughts is that, um, because it leads, like, having someone that's high, being married to someone that's high conscientiousness, if a high, I think a high conscientiousness would be irritated by a low conscientious. I think that, it, I, um, I don't think not necessarily, I mean, you could be a good man, I, I, I would not interpret it that way. Like my reaction was that because people are low conscientious, they're less uh, worried about their performance and they're less worried about maybe somebody else's performance. And so they, they let things go further before they step in and do something. Someone who's conscientious is more, if you're high on that conscientious scale, you could, you could be uh, a little bit perfectionistic, super mm -hmm. diligent. And when you see the relationship not going well, you're going to do something about it. Oh. Like you're gonna, you're gonna follow. You're gonna, you're gonna be intentional in how you're navigating that relationship and stop it before it goes too far south. Whereas a low conscientious person might be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm good. Like I think, yeah, that's. I would think that's the risk is you're not attending to the relationship as much if you're lower on that conscientious scale. Okay. But it depends on how they're di how they're defining conscientious. Okay. What do you think? I think I feel like you may I like what you just said. So I'm gonna agree with it. I just thought it was really interesting. Like nineteen percent of the fifteen hundred participants that had that, that seems like high. Like people that are really conscientious can be very intense, like perfectionistic and they can be over the top. And so I don't know that they're necessarily a bad fit for someone who's low conscientious because it might be a good mm -hmm. like it could balance it out. Yeah. So I don't know that you're always going to be frustrated if someone's... I think in a lot of ways I'm less conscientious than you. No. In some, in some ways I'm not. But I think that there's different areas. Well, and I feel... What's so funny is that you think I'm conscientious, but my biggest insecurity is that I'm not conscientious. You're not structured. <laughs> I think that you... I feel like I'm you, getting more structure. That's a behavior. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like I think that when you think about conscientious, I think uh, conscientiousness. I think you think just organizational skills, process orientation. And I think mm -hmm. it's more than that. Okay. Like if things aren't right, it's hard for you. I feel like I'm more like hmm, whatever, <laughs> you know. Well, I feel like every day I'm managing not right. What do you mean by that? I we live in the same house, and I don't feel like every day we're managing not right. But you're aware of it and it bothers you. Oh, I just like a little bit of a cleaner house. No, but you like a cleaner house. You're very intentional about how you parent. Like we talked about the, like the pressure that you put on yourself as a wife and a mom and a business person. I mean, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to perform well in every sphere of your life. Uh, to me, a big part of that is conscientiousness. Okay. Okay. Okay, well, so then this is a good lead-in. 
So I told you I've been reading Jay Shetty's book. I'm not done with it. I think it's really good, so you guys should definitely read it. But one of the things he talks about is doing an audit of your values and like not an, an audit of your time against your values. Okay. Like, and, and I was just curious if you tell your clients that because to me that makes a lot of sense. Like, what are my values in my life? Um, it'd be like my relationship with you, my kids, um, work, um, fitness. Mm -hmm. am, am I, if I did an audit of my time, would I be putting enough time into those things? And do you tell your clients that? Because I thought that was like... <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think that is a really, so yes, I do tell my patient, my clients that, and I think, I don't think that Jay Shetty is like the person who initiated that idea. Like that's been, there's a very famous YouTube video that you can, you can look up and I, I'm trying to think of what it was called, but it's by Stephen Covey. I believe it's Covey, um, where he has a fish tank. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this one? Mm -mm. And he says, you know, you you need to when you think about your life, you need to think about like what are the important things. Those are the those are the big rocks, right? And then there's other, you know, so it's like family. You put the rocks into the fish um, tank. Have you seen this? You know I I haven't seen that, but I've like I've had other people do that for me. Like okay, the, so there's the idea of if if you want to fill if you have all, if I have a bunch of rocks for you and I got big rocks and small I got boulders, big rocks, medium rocks, small rocks, and sand. If I said put all this stuff in the fish tank, if you took the sand, which would be the stuff that's really insignificant, into that fish tank, and then the small rocks, and then the medium rocks, then the big rocks, then the it would not all fit. But the idea is that you should first start by taking the big, big rocks, the things that are really important to you, and make sure that those go in the fish in the tank first, then the smaller things. And so you approach your life the same way. Figure out what's really important to you. It's your family. It's your relationship with your wife, it's your relationship with your kids, maybe it's your church, whatever it is, those big rocks, and then you build your life around that. And so you can fill that fish tank if you put the boulders in first, then the big rocks, medium rocks. And the whole point is that the, at the end of it, if you build your life around the things that are important for you, you can fit everything in. But if you do it backwards, and what happens is when we go through life, it's really easy for us to go, oh my God, I have that deadline or my boss wants X, Y, and Z for me or the neighbor wants so much for me, so I'm gonna attend to them, right? We, if you think about like, who do you get dressed up for? We get dressed up for people that don't matter, we don't know as well. Yeah. But you rarely get dressed up for your family. Mm -hmm. So often we care about the wrong things, we're putting those small rocks in the, the tank first. That sound like what he's saying? Yeah, but like, do you think that we should be doing an audit to remind ourselves of that, like weekly? Weekly? <laughs> I feel like it doesn't change that much, does it? That seems like a... But maybe it would make you more intentional about like... Hold on, are you saying, is this like a, is this an intervention where you're like, <laughs> David, I would like you to be, you would like to... Yes, and, and I, it wasn't supposed to be an intervention, but now that you bring it up. <laughs> but also like, um, how do you know you're doing that if you're not evaluating it all the time? Um, uh, because I feel like you, like depending on the stressors of life, like you, you may be unhappy because your time is not matching your values. Is is what Jay Shetty's saying. And that's right. I agree. And I feel like that happens to me when I feel like work is overwhelming and I'm not spending enough time. Like I have a I have a really hard time when I don't feel like I'm connecting with the kids or like 
enjoying my time with them. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me really sad when I get irritated at them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good... I think that's a... And yeah, and that's... And I feel like the irritation comes from the time um, limitations that we have. So, like, I... I'm like thinking about all the stuff with work or other stuff and I get irritated because of the constant chatter. My son likes to talk constantly. It's like in, insane, but I don't think if I wasn't as concerned about other things then I would be more present. And so evaluating that in general, what do you think? I mean, that's what Jay Shetty said. I, I, well, I agree and I, I mean, I agree and I don't agree. Why don't you agree? Well, I agree that you should audit, you should be intentional about how you structure your time. So that's good. Like good advice from Jay. The, the incessant yakking is, I don't care if you have nothing going on and that's all you're attending to, um, that's annoying. I think you can just say that. I don't know why you, I don't understand why you feel like when, when he's behaving in an annoying way, I don't know why you're like, this is because I didn't spend enough time with him. You are very involved with him. Yeah. There's a lot of connection. And then you're like, oh, he's acting like this because we haven't made enough, we haven't had enough like, special time. And I'm like, I think he's acting this way because he's, he's trying to figure out what a sense of humor is. He's trying to figure out like, you know, when we talk, he likes the way that looks. And I think he's trying to duplicate that, but he doesn't know how to do it. Hmm. Like, I think he's learning how to be social and that's a steep learning curve and he's at the bottom of it right now. You know, and I think that, is it okay to just say that, well, he's just annoying that it's not, <laughs> I don't know why you put the blame on you. Um, because of the time audit, I think. We'll see. We'll get back to you on that. I feel like you got uncomfortable with that conversation. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that felt super uncomfortable. Go ahead. <laughs> well, that's all I have today. So well, I brought something to talk about today. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm part of me being conscientious, like really thorough and bring something to the table. Okay. So yesterday I was on like my home page or whatever Yahoo, and there was an, a like a thing about the Ace Family, which is the most popular or one of the most popular family channels on YouTube, and it's a it's a uh, I mean they've been doing this for years, but it's a I don't know the. I don't. I've never heard of them. Never watched them. But you know, it's like the it's like the perfect family, uh, mom, dad, and I believe three kids now. And they posted this video where it was like the mom's day, and she posted this video, and you know, she's saying, "We're and this is about you know, she's vlogging. This is about me getting ready today." And then you know, the dad walks in holding one of the daughters or something, and, and the dad goes, you know. Uh, look at my hair. I'm, 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 not, I'm not ready to do it today. Or I'm not, I'm, good thing I'm not going to be on camera today and walks off. Well, it turns off there's drama because she initially posted the video and failed to edit the first cut of that, which was, it's mom's day today. And then the dad said something like, you know, make sure, I got to say this because look at my hair. I can't go on there. And he was like very like aggressive towards the mom. And the mom looked like, very beleaguered by it and so the twitter sphere in the tiktok world like somebody's captured it on tiktok posted it on tiktok anyway lots of drama around the idea that the dad would cuss at the mom and would say i think he said to her what the f oh. on camera 
Beep, there's outrage. So the question for you is... Am I outraged by that? Are you outraged? No. Why? I'm a sailor. Hold on, he's holding two kids. He's holding a daughter that's got to be... I mean, there's got to be a, a five-year-old and got to be a... I mean, if I was my best self, no cuss words would come out, but that would be a lot. I don't think I've ever seen you say that in, like, holding a kid. No, I haven't. But I'm not going to judge him for that. Are you like, judging him? No, I agree with you. No, no, I... But you I married just, a sailor! I, 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 I think it's a... Here's what I think is they are very, like, their channel is fantastic. And so like, if you look at their channel, they sound like they seem like the perfect family. It just reminds me of like the trend where we see social media, people on social media performing so well at the perfect Hollywood picture of what a family looks like. And then, you know, you see this glimpse into what maybe filming actually looks like and it looks pretty aggressive. They don't look super happy. They're, you know, there's this, ten, there's this like tension there. Like a disconnect. There. Yeah, it was, it was just, it just, I just think it shows again that uh, we have to be really careful of idolizing people that we see on social media because we you're never going to really see the full picture. And I think they probably have a good relationship. Like, I, I don't think it means anything about their relationship or how they are as parents. I, I think they seem very involved and I think it's fine. Um, but the level of outrage is pretty... Recreational outrage. You think it's recreational outrage? Yeah. Come on, people. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just gotta drop an F-bomb. I'm the like best at it. You are, compared I'm, to me? Yeah, I'm really good at dropping those. I think you're, I think I hold my own. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much thank for joining. You. If you have any questions, please put them in our comment section and we will answer them. Hope you're All having right. a good week. Thanks.